0: Good morning, everyone. Um, Jabez, did you say this is your first time doing this whole family, this whole uh, yeah. It, look, I mean, it sounded like a seasoned pro to me. I don't know. Can we just give him a round of encouragement? So good, so seasoned. Uh, but anyway, thank you once again for your warm welcome. Um, it is, I think, also my first time at least sharing the word in this service. I've probably been to the Saturday services before once or twice, but first time here at 9.30 service with you on a Sunday morning. So, so thankful to be here. Such a pleasure and privilege to be here to share the Word of God with you. As you mentioned, as I think as Jabez mentioned, uh, Pastor Ray and Pastor Gladwin are away, and I'm sure there are going to be tremendous blessings also in the churches that they are preaching in. As this is Conference Sunday, allow me to bring you greetings also on behalf of our track president, uh, the Reverend Stanley Chua. And also on behalf of the church I'm currently serving in, Faith Methodist Church. So with that, would you please join me in prayer before we uh, share the word. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for being such a loving, gracious, compassionate God. We thank you for doing so many things for us, being so faithful. We pray even as we go into your word this morning, that you will speak to us, align us to your will, help us to be the sons and daughters you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Recently I was uh, in Indonesia for a missions trip. Uh, Just a small team of us, uh, some staff, one pastor, and several church leaders. So it's about six of us in Indonesia for a missions trip. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to minister in different churches, to go into a prison as well to share the word, to go into slum areas, so on and so forth. But in the midst of everything, I heard a church leader share his testimony. Now, this church leader has been in church for a long time. Um, I just checked in with him recently. He's been in church for 56 years. So he's not young. 56 years he's been in church. And out of those 56 years... He has been in LCEC. I know, I'm sure you all know what that stands for. He's been in LCEC for 36 years. So 56 years in church and 36 years in LCEC. And so he was sharing how he, how he even landed up in church. He said when he was young, he, his whole family shifted to the Commonwealth area. That's where Faith Methodist Church is located in. And so he was there as a young boy, he and his brother would run around and have fun and do mischievous things, as all young boys, well, most young boys would do. Run around and being a little bit of rascals here and there, creating some mischief here and there. Having fun. And one day, as he tells the story, one day this lady comes by, sees him and his brother just playing around and making a nuisance on themselves. And he approaches, this lady approaches the two boys and he says, Hey, two of you. Do y'all live around here? And the leader tells me he was so scared, so worried because if you're playing and you're being mischievous and an adult comes to you and says, do you live around here? You get a bit worried. So the boy says, yeah, we live around here. And the lady then says, well, bring me to your parents. I want to speak to them. Now, he's really worried at this point in time. If you're playing around and someone comes to you and says you want to speak to your parents, you probably guess you're in kind of deep trouble. Or well, the boy, the leader says, okay, I'll bring you to my parents. He brings the lady home. And at home was just his mother. And the lady says to the mom, well, at least two your sons. She says, yeah, they are. What kind of trouble uh, have they been involved in again this time? The lady says, no, 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 no. I'm just wondering because I see them playing around, having fun here, and they seem to have so much time on their hands. And I was wondering if you would allow me to Bring them to church. And the mom says, Of course, love, take love, take love, take la. You have two boys at home. You want them to be gone. Yeah, yeah, take, take, take. Let them bring them to church, bring them to church. And from then on, this, this boy went to Faith Methodist Church. And thereafter, he's been there for 56 years. And after several years, he became a leader in LCC for 36 years. And I thought that was such an amazing story of someone stepping out of their comfort zone. Someone doing something out of the ordinary. Someone doing something probably not so comfortable. Just approaching some boys and speaking to the boys' parents and then bringing them to church. Just stepping out and doing the uncomfortable. And I couldn't but recall this verse in the Bible along the lines where Jesus says something about that, but not about reaching out to children and speaking to them and all that. But he does give a verse, at least a verse in the Bible, that tells us that Jesus says something along those lines, and it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it's a familiar verse, I'm sure, to all of you here. And in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples before he ascends to the heavens to be at the side... his father and he says these words you will receive power you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and I'm sure as a church we all believe in the Holy Spirit we do right okay we all believe in the Holy Spirit And we believe also in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been a pastor for several years now and before that I was also serving in church. And I understand and I see and I experience the power of God, the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. In services, in prayer meetings, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is so real. I see people also reading this verse, Acts 1, talking about receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and the people desiring that power. And there's nothing wrong in that. Everything good in that. People going to meetings and wanting to experience the Holy Spirit and they feel happy, they feel fulfilled, they feel satisfied when they experience the Holy Spirit and they begin to tear. I see, see, I see how some people come out, they get prayed for and they fall down under the power of the Holy Spirit. I see others just sitting down there experiencing the Holy Spirit in a way where it's just so peaceful and calming for them because they're going through a difficult time in their lives. I see people also breaking out in joy, laughing, just enjoying the presence of God because there is fullness of joy in the presence of God. I see people enjoying the Holy Spirit, receiving the power, being in His presence and it's all good. But something I often wondered was this, what happens after that? Because for some people, when they come and they seek the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence and all those other experiences, it seems almost that for those people, Acts 1-8 ends just here. That you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and that's all I want. But if we understand verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, we know the verse does not end here. It moves on and it says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. It seems that what Christ was saying is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there will be power. And it's good. But that power is not for us to just experience or to keep or to put in reserve. That power is for us to do the end portion of verse 8. Which is to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the end of the world. There is an intake, but there must be a flowing out. It's not meant for us to just take the Holy Spirit, enjoy Him, and just stay there. But there must be an outflow of sorts, and that outflow is called witnessing. And I think that was what what the lady did several years ago when she first approached that young boy who is now a leader in our church. She just kind of stepped out of a comfort zone, did something that people don't usually do with the power of the Holy Spirit, and in her way she witnessed to this young boy and to the parents of this young boy. I'm sure we all know also the word witness there. The original Greek there is the source or the root word of martyr, to be a martyr, which means we give evidence or we testify. About Christ. In that sense, that's what the lady did so many years ago when she saw the little, two little young boys playing and she testified. She, she kind of gave witness, she kind of gave evidence how simple things, stepping out of the comfort zone and just inviting them to church. So if we understand Acts chapter 1, verse 8, then we realize it's not just about receiving. It's also about releasing. You know, what's going on in Israel now and in that region is very sad and we need to continue to pray for God's peace to be upon that region. We want to pray for God's presence to be there also and God's will to be done in the whole area. But if you've been to Israel before or even if you haven't, you know that there's this place called a Dead Sea. Some of you might have been there before and, and you can do things like that. You can lie down and read your Bible, read the Bible. I don't think many of us will bring our Bibles in. You can read a book down there. You can do all kinds of stuff. Um, and the, and the Dead Sea is also known to be, uh, very rich in minerals and all those stuff. That when you apply them to your skin, you get really, I mean, it, it somehow does wonders for your skin. There's this brand, I, I'm not selling it, but there's this brand called Ahava. Some of you might know this brand. And it's amazing. Um, if you if you wonder why your pastor, Clement, looks so good. He applies Ahava, I, I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, you were just there. I had to use an example, so you were there. Convenient example. Um, but you know, people always say this: if you go to the Dead Sea and you and you go in and you come out, you realize your skin like wow, you minus ten years away, you know. So I tell you something silly that I did years ago. I went there, and I was telling this young adult that was with me in uh, in Israel on an Israel trip, and we went there. we were both in the Dead Sea, just hanging around, playing around, and I said, you know what? We always hear about how the Dead Sea water is so fantastic for our skin. People buy it and it's so expensive. They apply it everywhere. And here we are now in the sea and we are soaking ourselves in. And the most we can do is put our heads back. But what about our faces? Surely we must do something with our faces. And there, two jokers put our faces into the water and took it out. And for the next five to ten minutes, there were two blind guys in the Dead Sea because we just couldn't open our eyes. It was that painful. But the reason why people can float on the Dead Sea or people really purchase all their products and, and it's so well known for the nutrients or whatever inside there, is because the Dead Sea keeps on receiving, but it never releases. And how ironic is it that for a sea that keeps on receiving and receiving and receiving, rich as they may be, or rich as it may be, it's called dead. And I wonder, if if I were to live X 1-8 and only live in the front portion of X 1-8, maybe, maybe I may be rich in the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence, but maybe it's kind of like a dead end because there's no releasing. But there's another sea in Israel. And you know what that sea is called? It's a sea of... Sea of Galilee. Good. I, I, I thought I heard East Coast Sea or something. I was getting me worried. But it's a Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is totally different. It's a sea that continuously receives, but also always releases. It gets all its water from the River Jordan and all the tributaries, uh, all the streams and all the different streams coming in. But it also releases the water down to the south. And it's so interesting because this Sea of Galilee Continuously receding but also continuously releasing is a sea that is full of life. So many different species of fishes in it. Huge biodiversity down there. It's just full of life. It's also the sea where Jesus walked on water. And You go there and you take a boat out. And just there singing songs, you can experience the presence of God. The sea of Galilee receives, but it releases. The Dead Sea receives, but it does not release. And I can't help but think of it and remind myself that if, if I truly desire for the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I want to receive that, then I, I should also Be prepared to release it. And by releasing it, going by Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it means to be a witness, to testify, and to give evidence about the good news of Jesus Christ. Got me thinking also, so why don't Christians do more of it? Because surely those verses and those other portions of scriptures, like Jesus says in Matthew 28, go forth and make disciples, so on and so forth. Why don't more Christians step out and be a witness for Jesus Christ? Why do we seem so hesitant? And I, and I thought about it and I think, well, there are two reasons, why I landed up on one. I think this reason is... The proper one. Because the other reason, the first reason, would be a very, very sad and scary reason. I'll share with you what the first reason that I could think of was. The first reason is that Christians don't really bother. That we don't really care. Just can't be bothered about stepping out to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I don't think that's the reason the majority, the vast majority of Christians would hold on to. Because there would be a very sad reason, a very scary reason that the sons and daughters of our God and Father in heaven, who gave His Son, Jesus Christ, for humans, how sad would it be if, if these sons and daughters of God just say that, I can't be bothered about what you gave Jesus Christ for. And therefore, I thought it can't be. It can't be that Christians are not bothered about being witnesses for Jesus Christ. Which then leads me to the conclusion that it must be the second reason. And the second reason would be, well, it must be that we are uncertain, perhaps even a bit fearful, that if we attempt to step out of our comfort zone, if we attempt to give evidence or testify about jesus christ that we can't do it well enough or that there will be no results or no fruit if we were to do that and i thought that must be the reason and yes of course when the holy spirit comes upon us i think there are two ways we can be witnesses we can give evidence we can testify about jesus christ The first way is with the power of the Holy Spirit coming into us and after a while being transformed by it and we have the fruit of the Spirit. You know what that is, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, faithfulness, self-control and all those things. You have all those things and when people see you, that person looks different. That person after knowing Jesus Christ has been transformed by the Holy Spirit and they are drawn to ask you, what has happened in your life? And you say, well, Jesus Christ happened in my life. That's one way of being a witness. That one, I think most of us are still okay and we're willing to do that because it's more like a people watching and coming to ask you. But the second one, where we have the power of God and then we step out of our comfort zone and we, we talk to someone about Jesus Christ, we invite them to church, we share something, we give a testimony. That one, maybe you are a bit afraid because we don't know whether that will go anywhere, whether there will be fruit from that, or whether we can do that well enough. And so I began asking God, so how do we handle that? Because I definitely experienced that myself. I don't dare to talk about Christ. So what do we do? Because we're called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And there's this story that appeared or appears in Acts. The context of the story is this. Stephen, um, one of the deacons in the early church, he was captured and he was interrogated, going to be killed soon. But before he was killed for his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ, the first martyr as far as we can tell, he preached a sermon or he shared a message to those who had captured him. And in the midst of that whole sermon or message, He talks about Moses. And in Acts chapter 7 verse 22, he tells us what Moses was like. And we all know the story of Moses. He was put in the river now. He was taken up by the Pharaoh's daughter and he was educated, so on and so forth. But in Acts chapter 7 verse 22, it says it this way. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful... In speech and action. Now Moses was taken up by a, by, a, by the Pharaoh's daughter when he, he was just a baby. And obviously she educated him in all the wisdom, in all the information, in everything good and wonderful from the Egyptian culture. And back in those days they were a major player in terms of force and influence in the world. So everything was taught to Moses. And the way Stephen says it in 722 of Acts, he was powerful in speech and action. Of course he was. He was educated. But we know the story, don't we? For the first 40 years of life, of his life, Moses was educated and all those things. And then one day he walks by and he sees two, he sees people going on. He sees an Egyptian ill treating his fellow Israelite, fellow Jew. And Moses goes there and whatever happens, he kills the Egyptian. The next day, he realizes that what he thought he did in secret was not a secret at all. Because some of his fellow people said, you, you killed the guy. And because of that, Moses ran. Moses, who was powerful in speech and action. Moses, who was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses whom the people back then would have said, that's the next big thing in Egypt. This Moses was guilty of killing someone and he ran away. And we are told in the Bible that he runs away into Midian. And that's where he hides or he resides for the next 40 years. The next big thing of Egypt has become a has-been. Forgotten by everyone. Forgotten by everyone except for God. See, we are told again in Exodus, the story of Exodus, that after 40 years in Median, God approaches Moses and God speaks to him of the burning bush. And God says, you know what? I want you to help me to do something. Partner with me. I'm going to give you an amazing privilege because through you, I want to deliver my people from Egypt. I want to free my people from egypt amazing privilege because what moses was called to do was a foreshadowing of what christ came to do thousands of years after when christ came to liberate and free his people from the clutches of the evil one and sin so god tells moses i want to use you to do just this to free my people from israel and this time moses responds this is 80 years old now. At 40 years old, he thought he could do something. He was powerful in speech and action, educated in all the wisdom. But nothing happened. 40 years later, 80 years old, when some of us would think, 80 years old, you are more, you are worse than it has been. Maybe you, your memory, you can't even remember your own name. There'll be pains everywhere. You get out of the bed, you're a bit slow. You can't do so many things so quickly anymore. 80 years old, and God calls Moses. And you see how Moses responds this time. And his response to God is found in Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. And he says it this way. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow, in some other translations or literal sense, heavy of speech and tongue. What happened To the Moses of Acts chapter 7 verse 22, where he was powerful in speech at 40 years old. And God didn't do anything with him back then. But now 40 years later, at 80 years old, where he's worse than it has been, forgotten in median, God calls him. And Moses says, I can't. I am not eloquent. Maybe powerful in speech back then, but 40 years later, I'm not eloquent. And I am slow of speech and of tongue. Effectively, I think Moses was saying this, I don't think you can use me now, Lord. About 40 years too late. I don't have anything I can I can be used of by you. I don't think I will be effective for you. I can't because I'm not smart enough. I can't talk well enough. I just don't have all those gifts and talents. Use someone else, God. And God says, no. No. Even when you are, even when you think you can't be used, even when you think you don't have much to offer for me to use, it's not about you. It's about my power. The power of God. And if you remember Acts chapter 1 verse, eight, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to use you and you're gonna do mighty things for me. Years ago, when oh. I was much younger, I used to do, um, wakeboarding. Any of you do wakeboarding here? Nope. That, can you, can you recognize who that is? Let me, let me try. No, no. That's not me, by the way, in case you're wondering. I wish it was. But about 20 plus years ago, a couple of friends and I, we were crazy about this spot. In case you're wondering, it's like a surfboard, shorter than a surfboard. Uh, there are boots, and then you put your legs inside, you put your feet in the boots, and you have a boat pulling you in front. And it's something like water skiing, but you don't do it on a skis, you do it on a board. And while we are doing that, it's called wakeboarding, because there are two wakes or little waves at the side. And as you go through them, you can you can pop up and you can move up and down, left and right very quickly. And if you are skillful enough, you can even pop on the waves and you go up into the into the air like that. And sometimes you can do little speeds or little little tricks on the water as well. Now, a couple of friends and I were so crazy about this sport back then. Uh, we went down at least three, four times a week just to go wakeboarding. Now, that was before I was a pastor. In case you're wondering, well, oh, pastor is very free. Huh? Always go wakeboarding. No, no, no. Nowadays, I don't even smell the sea. But back then, yes, three, four times you will be enjoying all these things. And because we were enjoying this so much, we wanted to excel in it. We were trying all kinds of tricks, going into the air, do little tricks on the water. We wanted to excel in it. And so what we did was started doing research on the kind of different boards, different brands and different boots. What's good, what's not good? Which board, what kind of material is good for going up into the air? What's good for doing tricks on the water? What's good for going fast and all that? Because we want to buy the best so we can do all this stuff. And one day, um, our boatman who was just pulling us along, he was an experienced wakeboarder. And so I, I asked him, we're well, doing all this research and trying to find out what's the best board to do all these tricks and going up to the air and all those stuff. So, so what do you think? You're a very experienced wakeboarder. What do you think is the best board that we should buy? He was quiet for a while. He looked at me and then he smiled. And he said this. He so you know what? Even if you give me a plank of wood, any old wood, I will ride it for you. So what he was saying was this. It doesn't matter what kind of brand or board you get, how good, how expensive, how amazing it is. What matters is the user of that board because even if you get the best board but you don't have the skills to use it you're not going to do anything with it but for someone like him, who was so skilled and so experienced such a good rider on, on the waves and all even if I gave him a plank of wood any old wood he would still be able to do amazing things with it so I always remember that, that kind of lesson and I thought to myself, yeah, it's not about the tool or the instrument. It's about the user of that tool or instrument. So even if I want to step out and be a witness and I think I don't have enough skills, I'm not talented enough, I'm not knowledgeable enough, I don't have enough information, I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. I think God is saying it's not about the tool the instrument it's about the user and this user that I have is amazingly skilled he is so powerful he can do the impossible and so if I would just step out of my comfort zone and desire to be a witness for God I think God will give me His Holy Spirit and His power to do just that. In the conversation that Moses had, and I'll end with this, uh, Moses was going on and on about why he shouldn't be the, the one that God uses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And in verse 2 of Exodus chapter 4, God asks him a simple question. Moses, what's, what's in your hand? And Moses says, it's a, it's a rod. And we know that with that rod, God used to bring all the mighty miracles. With that rod, God used to part the Red Sea. With that same rod, God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And it's not the only one. It's almost like God asks Samson, what's in your hand? And Samson says, well, all I have in my hand is the jaw of a mill, a donkey. And with that same jawbone of a donkey, God uses to remove a thousand Philistines and delivers Israel. He asks David, what's in your hand, David? And David says, well, all I have in my hand is just a sling and five stones. But with that sling and just one stone, God removes Goliath. And once again, delivers Israel. God asks the boy, well, what's in your hand? Jesus asked the boy, what's in your hand, boy? And the boy says, well, all I have in my hands are, are five loaves and two fishes. And with the five loaves and two fishes, God feeds thousands with 12 baskets full left over. God asks Paul, Paul, what's in your hand? And the Apostle Paul responds by saying, I have nothing in my hands. But I have blood on my hands. The blood of believers whom I persecuted with the word of my mouth. And Jesus says, with those hands, Apostle Paul, you're going to baptize people into the kingdom. People whom you have brought into the kingdom through the preaching of the word from your mouth. See, it's not about the tool or the instrument. It's about the user. And if we would just remember the call to be witnesses, and if we would just say, okay, Lord, I, I, I don't have much to offer, but I'm willing to just step out of the comfort zone, remembering is not the tool, but the user then I trust that you, the user, will give me the power of the Holy Spirit and allow me to be a witness for you. So brothers and sisters, whatever's in your hands, God can use it and empower you to be an amazing witness for Him. Join me in prayer with you. So Father, we want to thank you for for your word this morning, your simple word based on Acts 1-8 reminding us that as your sons and daughters, we have an amazing privilege to partner you in your kingdom business, to testify, to bring evidence, to share, to to point people to your son, Jesus Christ, O Lord. Father, we pray that we will be witnesses for you, for Jesus Christ, that our eyes will not be on ourselves, the tools, the, the instruments, but our eyes will always be on you, the amazing, almighty, all-powerful user. Help us to do just that, oh Lord. Help us to shine brightly that people may come to know you as the heavenly Father, to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.